0: He saying to church, good morning, so glad that you're with us. Welcome to our new summer series, all based on the names of God. Now what I did, particularly for this sermon, is I did some research to find out what were the most popular names in the province of Ontario over the decades. I realize that lots of you are listening in other parts of the world, and it will be a different series of names, of course, culturally or ethnically or geographically from where you are, but here they are for Ontario. Now, Dorothy... And Ernest were really big till about 1920 and 1921, and then they dissipated. Edward peaked in 1936. That was connected, of course, to Edward VIII getting, you know, sort of becoming king, and then everything that happened there. Winston peaked in 1941. That's connected, obviously, to Winston Churchill. Charles and Elizabeth got really, really big till about 1953. That's because of Queen Elizabeth, and then Charles, who just became king a few months ago or weeks ago. Marilyn, Peaked in 1956 because there was a woman named Marilyn Monroe. Linda was a juggernaut, uh, sort of the post baby, post war baby boom, uh, until about 1947, and then it sort of, sort of just dropped off. Uh, Donald, Barbara, Sharon, Carol, all were 40s and 50s. Now Britney peaked in 1990, and then we come uh, sort of to today in the 2000s, year 2000. Uh, Emily, Hannah, and Madison were the most popular girl names, and Jacob, Michael, and Matthew were boy names. 2007, Emily, Isabella, Emma, Jacob, Michael, and Ethan. 2023, so this year it's Olivia, Emma, Isabella, Noah, Liam, and Oliver. You you might be one of these people. You might have been named uh, this. Now, like I referenced, we, we live in the GTA, the most multicultural city on earth. And every country and every culture has different top names and also the reason why names are assigned to children. Everything from what must be passed down to connection with ancestors. There's all sorts of factors when dealing with or choosing a name for a child. For example, have you ever heard a name and you like have a really bad reaction to the name? Usually it's not, you don't just like the sound of it. Usually it's connected to someone you don't like someone who bullied you at school or you didn't get along with, and you're like, I will never call my kids. And people are like, well, I love that name. Well, they're like, but you didn't know who I knew when. Uh, Sometimes um, the name is connected to someone that hurt you, and you want nothing to do with it. Then there's other considerations. Well, do I know other children with that name, and what do I think about them, and what will my family think if I care, and is the name easily a joke, and is there history to the name, and What's the meaning of the name? What's the popularity of the name? Now in Western culture, much of the time, it's more about the sound or I just like that name versus meaning. In most cultures on earth, it's actually what it means, not necessarily how it sounds. Now we all know, of course, too, some names are just off limits. People in history have such uh, wicked or evil sort of histories. Like I've never met a little girl named little Jezebel or, oh, this is my little son, Judas. And no one calls their children Hitler. Why? Because these names are off limits because of what was done in history. Now, when it comes to God, he has actually given us so many of his names. And we need to understand, first and foremost, from a Jewish perspective, a name was actually connected to one's personality, and it was an extension of your character. In other words, what you were named reveals the nature of who you are, the role you probably will have, and what you can expect from that person. It wasn't just, I like that name, isn't that cool, because I looked it up on Google. No, no, no. It's connected to who you actually are and what you're becoming. Now, in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there are all sorts of revealed names of God. So as we get going for this summer, let me just do this for a moment. There is God, the mighty creator. There is God who sees me. God Almighty, the everlasting God, the Lord, the Lord who provides, Master, the Lord who heals, the Lord is my banner, consuming fire, Jealous God, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord who is my peace, the Lord of hosts, the Lord my rock, the Lord my shepherd, the name, the king, the husband, the living God, the dwelling place, the refuge, shield, fortress, strong tower, judge, hope of Israel, the Lord our righteousness, God most high, the Lord who is there, Emmanuel, light of the world. Bread of Life, Physician, Lamb of God, Prince of Peace, Messiah, the Word, Cornerstone, Bright and Morning Star, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Friend, Savior, Son of David, Son of God, Redeemer, the Great I Am, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Faithful and True, Alpha and Omega, Beginning and End, Comforter, Convictor, Sustainer, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we all said together, oh, amen. Right? Like... Look at all those incredible names of God. Now, as Christians, and I know not all of us watching this or listening to this are Christians, but for we who are Christians, our prayers uh, in our songs and our worship services in good times, boring times, and dark times, we call out to God and invoke His presence by His names. His names tell us who God is, and His names actually tell us who God is not. Also, this is really important as we get going, we as Christians are forbidden. We are not allowed to use names about God that are not revealed in Scripture. We're forbidden from them because not only will they represent, misrepresent who God is, but we will begin to actually worship something that is not God and will begin to invoke and invite a presence into the space we're worshiping in, which is not the God we want to meet because we're using a name that's not His. This actually matters. Now, God's name or names is everything to us that know him personally. It answers the questions like, well, can God be defined? Can I actually know God? See, some, lots of philosophers say, God cannot be objectively defined by human language. He doesn't fit into our categories of definition or senses. Soren Kierkegaard brilliantly once said, God is wholly other, and language and thought isn't even strong enough to define him or know him. I mean, even Paul in 1 Timothy 6 says he dwells in unapproachable light. Now, that's true on one level, but here's the difference maker. God, out of love, chose to show us who he is. God enters into the human experience, and though he lives in unapproachable light, and though he is wholly other, actually by His names, by His encounters, and of course fully through Jesus, we actually get to know who He is. The point is God does reveal Himself and we can know Him. I love when one person said, Revelation means to disclose something, to appear, to come, to exhibit, to manifest things that were previously concealed. In the Judeo-Christian worldview, Revelation is God unmasking Himself, coming from eternity, that sort of absolute boundary, it's an incursion. One person said this, Revelation is like an invisible jet breaking the sound ba- barrier and it drives us to ponder the other world like an air raid siren and moves us from our everyday boring routine and makes us look up. And at the heart of all of holy history is actually God's names. See, God has revealed himself and we can know him. But we just need to know, and we have to be okay with the limits He chooses to reveal. Now, the very first name, or names of God revealed, they're sort of names paired together, they become the most famous name of God in the Bible, and they're the first ones in Scripture. It's Lord God, which in Hebrew is Yahweh Elohim. So let's start at the beginning, in the very first verse of the Bible. We have to start, of course, where we must, with the existence of God. We, as Christians, of course, wholly, unashamedly believe in the existence of God. And at the very first of the Bible, very first verse of the Bible, he's right there. So before anything was human, tree, animal, fish, star, ocean, moon, sun, matter, time, even light like we know it there was God. God created everything from nothing. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the name for God here is Elohim. It's used about 2,500 times in the Old Testament. And it actually is made up of two parts. The first is El, E-L. And this is a name borrowed from the Canaanites. And the name in Canaanite, El, can mean either true God or mighty God. And it also can mean pagan gods, plural. Now, El, by its simple definition, means the mighty one. The one whose incomparable power elicits fear or awe. So, El means mighty God. Now, Him is plural. It means fullness of supremacy. It can also be translated almighty gods, plural. So, what's really wild, the very first name in the Bible that we know that God has given us about himself, there's a singularity, there's one God, yet there's a plurality in the singularity. So, why is this? Well, there are three things that are happening. First, this is really a declaration that God is above all gods. He's the supreme God. He's the mighty God. Oh, there are lots of gods that are human inventions. There are other spiritual beings that are demonic. We know that by the New Testament. And actually in their very being have great power and they can be God-like, but there's a difference. They have power. God has all the power. They are ancient. He's the ancient of days. Uh, They're created. God is uncreated. They have a beginning. He has no beginning or end. He is the supreme God. Second, Elohim also, this plurality is connected to royal language. When you ever meet a king or a queen, which of course is rare, but we all were able to watch a coronation lately of a king in England, it's interesting. When you hear kings and queens speak formally, they never speak in first person. They never say, I love that idea, that's a great idea, I, I like that. They say, we, we like that, we approve of that, because their, their role and their title and their personality are all fused together, and so they speak in third person. And so what this is saying is God is supreme, He's mighty, but He's also kinglike and He's royal. Now, thirdly, I would say, this is the first hint at God's full express nature, God is one. There's only one true living God. Yet, within God, there's a plurality, which we, of course, call the Trinity. God is three persons sharing one divine essence. He is eternally holy community. So, watch this. Put your thinking caps on. Before anything existed, there was God. And God has always been two things. God forever, before time and space and everything, God was love and God was holy. But to be loving and holy, you have to have more than one person in the room. Think about holiness. It has two meanings. In the Bible, the first meaning means I'm separated from creation. I'm above creation. Well, God was not eternally holy because there was no creation to be separate from. So, of course, He is now. God is above. He's different. He's separate from creation. But the second version of holiness is without sin. So... He's been without sin forever, right? And we go, yes. Well, another person has to be present, not to sin against, not to covet, not to steal from, not to kill. To be eternally holy, which the Bible says God has always been, there has to be an eternal other. It's the same thing with love. I love what C.S. Lewis once said. He says all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. See, what we already see in this very first name of God, Elohim, there is one God. He is the true God, He's the mighty God, and yet there's a plurality within His existence. He's not created he's self-contained, he's mighty, he's powerful, he's eternal, he's not bound by time, he's Lord, he's royal, he's above all gods, he's transcendent, he's imminent, meaning he's far and yet he's close. Let me read the verse again. In the beginning, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. Now again, let's just get this. God is creator, creation, color, beauty. Everything we see and sense and experience is not a cosmic mistake. It's not a bang without purpose. It's not some experiment from some alien race. God, the great artist, God, the great architect, God, the great mathematician, has created the heavens and the earth. Reality is physical and spiritual, they make up existence. Natural and supernatural, from angels to galaxies, from whales to trees to the sea to the sky, billions of stars. God created. This is what I call capital R reality. See, as Christians, we're not Gnostics or Buddhists. We don't think the physical is dangerous or bad or we need to escape from it. Creation is physical and spiritual, and it's very good, and that is reality. Jesus is fully God and fully human. You are both physical and spiritual. You have a body and yet a soul, but you're one. When the end comes, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. The physical is no jail to escape from. It's actually good. What did David cry out in the Psalms? When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the the moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is humanity that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Okay, so that's the first name. Now, when you get to Genesis 2... There's a repeat of the creation account, and it reads like this in Genesis two four. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Okay, now another name is added to the first one. Now it reads Yahweh Elohim. Now, this is interesting. Yahweh is God's personal name. The Jews were so afraid of misusing this name and breaking the Ten Commandments they would just say the name, or they would call it the, un, uh, the unutterable name, or just the holy name. Adonai was used as a substitute for this name, and Jehovah in the Middle Ages became a substitute also for this name. Now, what, is the word, what does the name Yahweh mean? It means two things, I am or the Lord. It's used about 6,800 times in the Old Testament. This name reveals God's absolute being, his creative, creative and benevolent presence. Now, the summary of the Jewish faith is rooted in this name. That means the summary and the root of the Christian faith is found in this name. Deuteronomy 6:5. O Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And this reads: Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Again, <laughs> Don't misread this. He's not just the best of the gods of that time or this time. He's not just a little better than Baal or Amon or Marduk or Ganesh or versions of Allah or Buddha or the incarnation of the Dalai Lama or the god of the tree, water, or fire. He was and is and will always be the true living God. Now the name Yahweh is connected to the name I Am, which simply means he who is and he who causes to be. Moses encounters God at the burning bush, and this is when this name is given, but both names are used. Watch this. So Moses said, it's interesting, Exodus 3.13, Moses said to Yahweh, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Now, this reads, again, Moses says to Yahweh, he uses that name, and then it says, Yahweh says to Moses. So, okay, Moses already knows the name Yahweh, and it's always connected to personal relationship. One person put it like this, Yahweh is God's covenant name, and Scripture compares his covenant to a person's commitment in marriage, a free, deliberate undertaking to love, protect, And provide for the one he calls my wife, to whom he presents himself as husband. So Yahweh is a covenantal name. It's not just mighty supreme God. It's actually the mighty supreme God who's close and loves me. It's real love. And the other sort of connection to Yahweh is that third name, I am. Now, what does I am mean? Well, many things. I am eternal. I'm self-contained. I'm above all things. I'm, creating, I'm, I'm creator, I'm self-sufficient, I am self-existent. But more than this, again, because this is about love and like the covenant between a husband and wa- wife, this name is I am close to you. I love a guy named Victor Hamilton, who's a very famous um, Old Testament scholar. He said, I am that I am means I am there with you. Where you are, I really am. So Yahweh Elohim, these names of God show God's holiness, His love, His love his mightiness, his supremacy, his power, his transcendence, his imminence, his closeness. But more, Yahweh is the name exclusively used by God and about God when he ends up saving people. In the time of Moses, that becomes clear. Exodus 6.6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, I'm Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So not only is God eternal, and not only is God creator, and not only is God mighty, and not only is God uh, savior, but these three interconnected names begin to reorient reality for us as human beings. Okay. Okay. So just take a moment, take a pause. (laughs) Got got, uh, Elohim Yahweh in your head. Yahweh Elohim. Now, listen to what this pastor says, because it's so important. And it's not just for this sermon, it's the whole summer. He says, when we read the name Yahweh Elohim, this is what happens. We know, here's what he says, that God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can't be improved on. He's not becoming anything, odd something. He's not evolving. He is who he is. Two, God, this is so important, is the absolute standard of truth, goodness, and beauty. There is no law book to which he looks to know what's right, there's no al- almanac for him to look at to establish facts. There's no guild to determine what's excellent and beautiful for him. He himself is the standard of what is right. He himself is the standard of what is true. He is the standard of what is beautiful. Third, God does whatever he pleases, but it's always right, and it's always beautiful, and it's always truthful. All of reality is outside of him. He created and designed and governs as the absolute reality. So he is utterly free from constraints that don't originate from the counsel of his own will. God is the most important, that's what he says. God is the most important and most valuable reality and person in the universe. He is more worthy of interest and attention and admiration and enjoyment than all other realities, including the entire universe. I'll just add something like this. You know, I was saying to my son the other day. We were at a really beautiful art gallery and we were looking at this gorgeous art and he was stunned by the beauty of the art. And I said, you know, it's interesting. So many people love the art, but they never want to meet the artist who actually inspired it. So many human beings love the universe and love science and math and architecture and beauty and art, but they don't actually want to know the one who set it all up. This is the invitation actually to come to the center of reality. That's, by the way, as a side note, why idolatry is such a sin. When you place another name, or another being, or another God at the center of the reality, then actually everything falls apart. That's why the very first of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me, because he is absolute goodness and beauty and truth. Okay, that's the first beginning uh, of our summer series in those three, two interconnected names. So, okay, why does this matter to me and us? Okay, number one, God's revealed names are key to everything we hold so dear. One pastor said this, remember that in the Old and New Testament, a name was believed to be a mysterious part of one's personality and an extension of one's character. Throughout the scripture, God's name represented the nature and character of God himself. So to speak for God is to speak in His name. To praise God is to praise God's name. To worship God is to call upon the name of God. To serve God is to love God's name. The temple for God's worship is the place where God's name dwells. To know the name of God is actually the way you know the power of God. It's interesting. In Acts 4-7, this person writes, it tells us how the religious leaders questioned Peter and John about the healing of a lame man. And they ask this question, by what power or name did you do this? And Peter answers in Acts 4.10, it's by the name of Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Eventually, the high court angrily lets them go, but warns the apostles not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You see, God's name includes his character. God's name includes his will. God's name includes his power. That's why, for example, as Christians, that's why we are to pray in the name of Jesus and why God's name has special power and meaning for us. So here's the first sort of, not just lesson, the invitation, the encounter uh, that's being given to us. God's names are critical in our worship. Remember, what is the chief purpose of humanity? To know God and enjoy Him forever. Okay. But to enjoy Him, to worship Him, to give Him the honors due, we need to worship Him by the names given to us through the Scriptures. So knowing God's name allows us to worship God, and as we worship God, we get to enjoy Him, and we find joy. Also, His names, we're going to discover this, over the whole summer is a way we invite Him into specific seasons of our life. When there's pain and sickness, God the healer, when people slander us, God the judge, or God who sees me. When we're dealing with other supernatural powers that seem so strong, actually we invite God the warrior. When we actually realize that we are destined to an eternity without God, we cry out to Jesus the Savior. So again, just think about it like this. It's um, You've got this idea, His names help us worship Him. His names help us invite Him into everyday life. And also, His names actually are what brings power, His kingdom, onto the earth to change the earth back to what's already in heaven. His names are everything to us who follow Him. Number two, there has to be a decision. This is the hard one. A joyful submission to what God says about Himself. One of the things we have to do all summer for willing, but we need to do this at the beginning and then during the series, is choose to submit to God. In other words, say this, I will say yes to what God says about himself. God's self-revelation undoes pride. It undoes and confronts our pretensions that we are God-like and we're powerful. We are not God. <laughs> not even close. And thank God, by the way, I don't know if you thought about it, thank God he's not like us. None of us want some larger version of us up in the heavens, messed up and broken. No, We need something wholly different. See, during this whole summer, we can and must say to God, Lord, show me who you are. And Lord, show me who you're not. I don't want to find out what I want you to be, God. I don't want want to base my view on what I think you need to be for me. Because see, God's at the center, not me. In other words, here's the submission. I'm willing to meet you, get to know you, walk with you, and be under your revelation, not my wants, not my needs, not my hopes. Those are important, but they're secondary. See, there's no shadow in you, God. There's no wrong in you. You're not just better, you are. So the open posture needs to be, Lord, speak to me about who you are. I'm willing to submit and listen. And by the way, here's an amazing little thing in this. When we begin to say, "I'm not going to fight you God I'm not going to reject who you are I'm not going to try to mold you into my pain, politics, hopes, dreams, or ambitions." then in that moment when we see God for he full, for for, he, for who he fully is, there is this gift of personal rest and freedom. See the more we understand God, the more free we become uh, there's an amazing connection a guy named David Benner made. Uh, and he was writing about how we see ourselves. So let me walk this carefully, because this is a real gift of rest, if you catch this. He said, knowing ourselves must therefore begin by knowing the self that is known by God. The self is known by God. The possibility of knowing yourself is grounded in the fact that you are already known by God or known to God. This is to Christians. Similarly, the possibility of knowing God is grounded in the fact that God already knows you. Okay, keep up with me. Jaya Packer correctly captures the priority in all of this knowing. The matter supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God. For the larger fact which underlies it is the fact that He knows me. Ready? Here it is. Everyone lean in. Genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing then how God is looking at me. Grounding our knowing, grounding or knowing ourself and God's knowing of us anchors us in reality and anchors us in God. So notice the order. When I know God and look on God through His names, on His terms, not on my feelings, my politics, Him, Then it allows us as human beings to know who he is, but also when we're looking at him, he looks back at me, and I know what God thinks and feels about me. But it's in that order, knowing God's revelation, then knowing myself. To know God, then to know self, that gives rest, because then I go, oh my goodness, you, when you look at me, because I know who you are, actually allows me to know what you really think about me, and you're trustworthy, there's no change in you, and oh my goodness, I can rest in what you say about me. Oh, so much of our culture bases their identity in sex and money and politics and likes and followers or education or rights or fill it. No, no. Rest is found when you truly know who God is and then you see how he looks at you. And not only is there freedom to rest in here, in the soul, there's more than that. Knowing God as he reveals himself allows us to rest in a restless world out there. We get soul rest and we get life rest. I mean, let me put it like this, especially for you who have a lot of church history. Have you ever stopped and said, I actually know who God is? I mean, I don't have to worry what God is like or wonder if he's good. I actually know that. I mean, when was the last time you just said, I actually know God personally? Wow. And I know who he is. Have you also ever stopped and said, thank you, God, for showing me that you're personal, that you're holy, that you're loved, that you're not fickle, that you're not cruel? And oh, by the way, here's something for a lot of you who have not grown up in other cultures. Have you ever stopped and thanked God that he's only one? That you're not running around scrambling, trying to appease all the ancestors and all the small g gods, making sure that they all are happy and they're appeased and they got enough offerings and your whole life is controlled by... You don't have to do that. There's one God. Not many, and he's not cruel, and he actually has appeased himself through the work of Christ, and we get peace. When's the last time you just said to God, thanks that I know you, thanks that I know your name, thanks that I know you're good, thanks that I know you're not cruel, thanks that you're beautiful and holy and truthful, and you're going to make all things right, and there's not a thousand of you, and I'm not always wondering if you hate me, because thank you. The other thing that we begin to discover as we get going is the name... uh, Elohim Yahweh, or Yahweh Elohim, especially that I am name, allows us to go to God no matter what's happening in life. I, I found this. I've preached it once or twice before. I love when one person, I think, in a sermon said this. Here's some questions you might worry about. Who's going to make sure good triumphs over evil one day? God says, I am. Who's going to make sure the whole world knows about Jesus in the end? I am. Is there any truth out there? I am. If my husband walks out on us, who's going to take care of us? I am. What if the chemo isn't enough? I am. Who's smart enough to figure out this crazy life of mine? I am. Oh, I desperately need need something fresh in my life. I am. Leaders are dropping like flies. I am. Is there anyone out there that's really real? I am. Who's going to stay with me now? I live in this big empty house because my spouse is dead. I am. God, I'm going under. Is there someone who can help me? I am. My family deserves so much more. I am. Who's ever going to fix all of this? I am. I always have been. I always will be. I am. Anyone want to say amen to that, wherever you might be today? Yeah. This is just the beginning of our series, but what we begin to see is we begin to see who God is and who He's not. We begin to see how important revelation is and how we need to submit to it. We begin to start seeing the connection. The more I know God, the more I can worship and enjoy life. But also, as I get to know God, I actually get to have rest for my soul because I actually know what He begins to think about me. And not only that, I know He's with me in all seasons. So I'm going to ask you, wherever you might be, would you stand? And I would love us to pray out of Psalm 103. And we're just going to pray uh, using this name together. So maybe you can put your hands out. And let's do this again. Psalm 103.1. Praise Yahweh, my soul. All my most inner being. Praise Yahweh's holy name. Praise Yahweh, my soul. And forget not, all of Yah- forget not all Yahweh's benefits. Who forgives all your sin and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Yahweh's works, Yahweh works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Yahweh made known His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people Israel. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Yahweh will not always accuse, nor will Yahweh harbor His anger forever. Yahweh does not treat us as our sins deserve. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is Yahweh's love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has Yahweh removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Uh, Yahweh Elohim, found fully in the face of Jesus Christ, revealed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that as we just prayed that it is true. Everything that you are and everything that you do for us is real. Help us to know you. We willingly as a church say, show us who you are. Lord. Show us you. We won't fight you. Show us. We pray for the gift of soul rest. We pray for rest in a restless world. And we pray that we have a grander, more beautiful understanding of who you are, your goodness, your beauty, your truth, so we can worship you, love you, and walk with you in this interesting time. We pray this in the name of Yahweh Elohim. Amen.